You're listening to Fireside with Founders, the podcast that gives you a behind-the-curtains insight into the journeys of some of the world's coolest startups and their amazing founders. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Fireside with Founders. Uh, This week, I'm joined by Dean Fankhauser, who is former CEO and co-founder of Nuji. Hey, Dean. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Yeah, all good. Thanks, mate. Um, Really good to have you on. Um, we've obviously been talking for a little while now about other things, so I'm excited to hear more about your uh, your journey as a founder with with Nuji um, and what you've been doing. So, yeah, looking forward to to getting going with it. Um, so, just as I'll give a brief introduction, so Nuji uh, has been an e-commerce platform, and uh, Dean had been with the the business over the last nine years. Um, and has recently taken the the business all the way through to a sale. Um, so, look, Dean, it'd be great to start off, I guess, you know, casting your mind back to the very early days of how you founded Nuji, and perhaps giving a bit more of an overview as to what Nuji does, because you know, an e-commerce platform is uh, is quite a, a loose overview, and it does a lot more. Exactly. Um, I think I think what's what's what a lot of people could probably relate to who have, who have done startups is that um, what it started out as is, uh, and what it ended up as is two completely, well, not completely, but quite different things. Um, but I can give you a, a sort of a, a basic overview as to the inspiration behind it and, and, and how that evolved. But um, so basically, uh, I, a friend of mine and I, like we, we wanted to do something in the space um, and we were particularly intrigued. Uh, I mean, the iPhone was brand new. I think it'd been in the market about a year um, when we first started discussing working together. And, and it was really interesting because back then, and this, this will sound quite strange, but back then it wasn't clear that the iPhone was even going to be a success and that this idea of a smartphone would, would change anything. Wow. And I remember being in discussions with literally the largest tech companies on the planet discussing exactly that, whether this is a fad or whether this is a real thing. And at the time, conventional wisdom was that it was a fad, which is crazy. To very back wrong. On now. Yeah. yeah, very <laughs> wrong. Um, and, and, you know, so it wasn't totally clear, but, but from our perspective, we thought that, um, that, that you know a, a big change probably was on the way and um and it's worth taking a bet on anyway because if that is the case then there's a lot of potential opportunities and upside so the initial the initial inspiration was well um you know e-commerce um is is obviously a big and important industry and if there's one thing um that mobile could could be you know could have a huge impact on um, and create a lot of value in, particularly, you know, with this iPhone and smartphones and everything, it would be e-commerce. So Nuji really started off as, um, as a mobile and iPhone, iOS first sort of e-commerce platform. Um, and, and so when we first um, started looking at it, believe it or not, there was very little, almost no companies in that space like really doing mobile first, you know, interesting things in, in e-commerce, um, which again might be, I'm sure it's hard to believe, but really like that was the case at the time. And, um, and so we, we really wanted to tackle it. And I think we, we probably got a bit too creative with it. 
um, we, we tried to really reinvent the wheel. <laughs> so it wasn't enough to, to just do, you know, a mobile first, smartphone first, e-commerce and try to think about how that would work. We, we wanted to go even further with it, which is stupid in hindsight. We didn't need to. Um, and, you know, we introduced all these things around like scanning barcodes and social shopping and this and that. And, and that was mistake number one, right? We bit off more than we could chew. We tried to do too much. We tried to be too clever. And it was really interesting because that was our first product. That's what we introduced to the market. And all the, you know, the tech people and marketing people and all these people got very excited about it because, it, you know, it did all of these new and wonderful things, um, you know, that, that really showcased the value and the strength of mobile, right? So the, the ability to have a camera and you could scan something and 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 it would bring back like you know you could you could merge the physical and digital world through a mobile device and e-commerce that was the vision and the thinking behind it but what we quickly found was that uh the infrastructure the technical infrastructure wasn't in place to support that in a way where um it was going to work really well and how long did it sorry how long did it take you to find that out in terms of not long at all i would say two months okay very quick maybe then. even less maybe Good. even less um and what we what and in hindsight again you know we should have known that really um it's quite obvious but you know we tapped into a bunch of apis that we thought would would do the job mostly um and for some verticals it worked perfectly so books and electronics and this type of stuff it it, it just you know it was really good but everything else um well, most other things that just didn't work. So if you were to walk into a, you know, a clothing store and scan a barcode, it's like, that's not going to work. And it will, I mean, not to say it'll never work, but the infrastructure, the way to get that to work is so difficult because every retailer has a different barcode for the same brand and the same piece of item, uh, clothing, clothing item. And, um, yeah, so, so again, like mistake number three <laughs> was that we, we should have had more focus on verticals and just said, hey, we do this and we just do it for bottles of wine or we just do it for books or we just do it for whatever. Now, at the time, I was 24, 25. I didn't have much experience. So, you know, I, I didn't know all of these things. And so I was making these mistakes in real time and having to learn in real time. Um, but, but again, like what we were doing though, it was first if may, or maybe if not first, one of the first to do this type of stuff. So it really got a lot of people's interest and, you know, we got a lot of articles and, you know, um, but yeah, so, so after a few months, we, we realized that it wasn't going to be sustainable because actually we were just annoying people because they would, they would tell their friends how fantastic this new thing is. And then their friends would use it. And for a lot of the time, it wouldn't work properly. So, <laughs> so never good. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it was, it was really annoying because everyone was so excited about the possibilities. And so were we. And so anyway, then we had to go back to the drawing board um, and, you know, rethink exactly how we're going to do this. And, and at the time, we were too early. Um, you know, there weren't enough people with these handsets, with this technology um, to really create a, ma- a big enough market. And then there wasn't the underlying infrastructure to support the, the vision that we wanted to create. So, 
you know, it, we had a choice. We either pivot to something where we would be able to do all of those things um, or we, we create the infrastructure ourselves, right? Um, we chose not to do the latter. I think that that would have been a very interesting and big business and maybe that's something that we should have done, but we chose not to do that. Um, and so we shifted from, you know, a very sort of mobile-centric, native mobile-centric platform to, to becoming more of a web one. But then, you know, we, we needed a point of difference um, and so the point of difference was, uh, well, this idea of social shopping, which I know everybody, you know, it's very easy now to look back and go, that's a silly idea. But at the time it wasn't, <laughs> didn't seem like it would yeah. be. Um, and, and again, we got a whole new hype cycle, right? Like at the time that seemed like a really great vision and that's going to be the next big thing. And, you know, the next multi-billion dollar companies are going to be created in that way. And yeah, so we went through that hype cycle and to a degree, it, it kind of worked. Um, but we didn't, I don't know, like we didn't, the, the, everything didn't quite align. Like the business model wasn't quite matching with the growth and I don't know, it just wasn't quite right. And so, but we spent a long time trying to, trying to figure it out. And we had a lot more success with that than we did on, on the mobile first app. Um, where, you know, we, we started to really make our first money properly. Um, a lot of partners, a lot of brands, a lot of companies were very interested in it and it was working for a lot of people. Um, but, it, but the, the unit economics just weren't quite, weren't quite there. Um, and so it was interesting because there are a lot of other companies trying to do the same thing. Um, and no, to this day, I, I don't, think and you you can correct me if i'm wrong but i don't think anyone really cracked that not that i've um, seen yeah and I, on the mobile shopping stuff yes there's plenty of things that i think have done quite well there um but not totally the way that we did it um but on the social i think it's it's gone like i can't i think pinterest is probably the closest thing to that even though it's technically not a, a shopping website um that's probably the closest to that sort of use case so <laughs> then, then we ended up pivoting again. Um, and this time it was, um, it was more of a, I mean, we, we pivoted to a, a, an e-commerce marketplace. Um, and, you know, with a particular focus in the market, you know, very high end, trendy London, you know, and we worked with a, a lot of boutiques. Um, so I guess, you know, that put us more into competition with something, I guess, more like, like a far-fetched type thing. Um, the issue though is that by that point, you know, they, they, they were quite established. Um, and, and so, you know, but our economics really matched up, right? That's when, you know, we, we, we really started to make much better money um, to the point where it became a, a more of a choice as to whether to raise more money or not. And how did you come and, to that conclusion, sorry, of how to, to sort of pivot the business for the third time? What, what sort of drove the... Uh, well, it was do or die, basically. Um, the, the economics, you know, we were too reliant on venture capital um, at that point. And whilst we could, we could get the buzz machine going and get the numbers coming through, there wasn't really a light at the end of the tunnel. Like, it, we, I guess... We could have kept the hype machine going, which a lot of the competitors at the time did very well, and they raised crap loads of money on the back of it. But you know, the, they got themselves into a really sticky position because 
they weren't able to then bring in the unit economics to support that, which then meant they raised literally well over a hundred million per company. Um, But their revenues were not non-existent, but you know, weren't great. Yeah. And then, you know, they're, they're holding those back. Could you imagine being in that position? And, um, and we, it was very obvious to us that was the case. And so it was just a choice. Like, do we follow, do we follow what they're doing and, and raise, try to raise a lot of money and just do it anyway? Or do we just take a, what we thought at the time is a more sort of honest approach um, and, and shift it again to really focus on, on unit economics and a business model that's, that's going to work. Um, and so we, we decided to do the latter. I think that the, that then put us into another, a different competitive landscape again, which was, which was quite difficult. But um, at that point, we, because the unit economics were doing much better, we kind of had a choice um, as to whether we wanted to then, you know, build, focus on profitability and income and, and being self-sustaining versus, you know, going out and, and raising as much money as we could. Um, and at that point, you know, it was, it was really tough. Um, it was, it was really tough decision. Um, and we're talking probably for six years in, I guess at this point. Um, and yeah, so we decided to do that. Um, so that's quite a tough point at any business, right? You, six years in is, is a pretty telling point. You know, a lot of businesses haven't survived to that stage. So to make such a pivotal decision at that stage must have been one of the biggest challenges that you guys certainly would have faced up until then, for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it may have been a little bit less, maybe five years in. That, yeah, and it's a good point. Like, we've done well to survive to that point. Um, and then it, it kind of... I think it maybe made us a little bit cynical at the same time, you know, watching what was going on in the industry. And by that time, you know, we'd grown up a bit and really understood um, what's going on in the market a lot more. And then we were like, well, we'd rather build a, try to build a, a, a more real business than, than just sort of this venture funded stuff that just is all puff and smoke. Um, and yeah, so at that point, you know, we did that. Um, I, I decided to step away from, from the business in a day-to-day, in a day-to-day way at that point. Um, I was still involved um, quite heavily, but my, my business partner took over um, the day-to-day operations. And then, you know, he really focused on, you know, just, just uh, profitability, basically, and, and being self-sustaining um, and not, not chase the, the venture capital money as much. And I think, yeah, and I think, um, and then we had like a new appreciation, I guess, of, of, you know, these indie founders, if you will, and, and, and this realization that there's, there's various ways to, to build a business. Um, yes, you can take this sort of venture capital route where you raise as much money as you can and, and hope for the best, but there's, there is a, there is a route of of just building you know sustainable profitable nice healthy businesses yeah so we had this sort of new appreciation um for these types of businesses that that uh were you know didn't didn't rely on venture capital but then what was very interesting for us at that point was the whole exit right and that's when it becomes quite complicated because when you build an an indie business um the exit 
is 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 in some ways much simpler and cleaner, um, but in other ways it's is more difficult, and that's what I think is changing now. So you know, if you take if you take uh, like Nuji, um, you know, we'd raise some capital, um, you know, we'd built out these different things, and so we're kind of like we couldn't we had to have a certain type of exit for for everybody to be happy, right? <laughs> um, and but the way that we were running the business was was not quite like that and so it made it it made it um made it a little bit more difficult to to figure out what you know how to, how to handle that because the ambition of you know creating a multi-billion dollar you know business that we ipo and all that sort of stuff had we kind of lost the end we didn't really want to do that anymore um but then we still needed to find an exit that, that made sense for everybody and on you know on, on the indie side of businesses, these new breed of businesses, um, whilst it's, it's much cleaner and easier to exit, there's, there's not a market for those exits, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, so um, you know, there's, there's not a lot of companies out there that will make the effort for, a, let's say, a single digit millions, um, you know, exit, like, you know, making a, a 5 million exit or even a, you know, maybe a few hundred thousand exit. There's just, most companies aren't set up to do that properly. Um, but there's, there's a new breed of sort of holding groups or holding companies that I find really, really interesting. Um, one of them is, it's called tiny.co. And, um, and they, it's a, they're based in Canada. And I think it's Andrew Wilkinson who, who set it up. And, um, and they, they buy these companies, right? Which I think is really interesting. Um, these sort of more mid-level internet companies. And so their, their whole thesis is they're trying to build out like the, the Berkshire Hathaway of, of internet businesses, which I think is really cool. And so they bought out, you know, Dribble. Um, they bought out, I can't, I can't remember all of them, but they bought out like an, a number of these, of these companies that otherwise, you know, a buffer was another one actually, you know, that they didn't, they don't want to have an IPO. They don't want a huge exit. They just, they have nice, healthy, profitable businesses that could scale up a bit and over the long term will, will probably grow, but just generate really healthy, sustainable income. And that business on its own is probably not that interesting. But as a group, if you start to own a few of these entities, it actually equates to something really quite large and powerful. Um, and so that's something that didn't exist. And that's the irony of the name, right? Tiny, yeah. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. So, so I think that that's a really healthy development. And, you know, if, if, if I was to, well, I am doing it again now, but um, I would think about it more in that way, at least to begin with. Like, there's nothing wrong with, in fact, it's great that people have these big moonshot visions and, and want to create these amazing large companies and the world needs that. Um, but at the same time, I think that it's also very healthy to have another market um, where you can create a good, healthy, sustainable, profitable business and have exit opportunities yeah um and look, looking at the the journey then that you went through in a bit more detail so you, you mentioned obviously you did take the the business through some funding rounds so i think you did you had angel investment seeds and even went through to series a at one mm -hmm. point 
Um, what was the the path like in terms of that that sort of investment round? Because often when I hear from founders and co-founders, raising raising is stressful. That's one of the most challenging parts to do. And yeah. so, how did you how did you find it? And you know, perhaps what what advice can you give to other people? Oh, yeah, that's super interesting, right? So, <laughs> yeah, it's very stressful, very stressful. It isn't like that for everyone though. Like at least it was for me. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So, okay. So we went through, we, we, we got some seed funding to begin with a very small amount of funding, um, you know, under a hundred grand, which sort of kicked things off. And um, that was from, from uh, seed camp. And at the time they were, I mean, they're a proper seed fund now, but at the time they were um, actually more of an incubator. Um, so they, they were kind of like the European Y Combinator. Um, that's how they're positioning themselves. And yeah, it was actually really good. Um, I, I love the people at Seacamp. They were great to me. Um, really, really supportive. And, you know, as I said, I was super young. I had no experience. You know what I was doing. And they took a bet on me and I'll forever be grateful for that. Um, and uh yeah, so, so we started off with them. They gave us the initial funding. And on the back of that, you know, we, we built out the, this initial thing, <laughs> this, this mobile stuff and some other things. And, um, but we had good, you know, we had some, some great press and some, and some really good encouraging traction to begin with. And so that, that somehow miraculously sort of led to the next round of funding, this sort of seed funding. Um, now that was, yeah, I remember the first, the first one, the CCAM one wasn't a big deal. Like, cause there wasn't much at stake. I didn't, you know, it was just the beginning. It was just an idea. Um, but then the second one, it was like this, you don't want to fail, you know, cause then you got something to lose. You don't want to throw away that. Like we just worked out asses off because we're making so many mistakes in retrospect. I can look back on that. Um, and, and so you didn't want that to be for nothing. You yeah. know, and, and you've got other people that you don't want to let down at that point as well. And so that's when the pressure really built, built up. And because you, you have basically no revenues to speak of, this is the only option. And so the stakes were much higher. Um, and I found that I found it really quite stressful. Um, and, and, you know, being, being a young founder without having done it before, like there's a lot, lot to learn very quickly. Then um, once we did that, then we felt quite comfortable and we had a bit more money in the bank and, you know, it was quite fun for a while there. And you know, we, we, we built out a lot more. It was great. But then, but then you've got this sort of like imaginary clock ticking. You can yeah. see this clock over here in the corner of your eye and you're like, yeah, that thing is going to run out soon. So I, you know, we're going to have to do this rodeo again. The bank balance um, goes backwards slowly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and you, you you do a couple of things, and that just accelerated accelerated yeah. the clock bit. So, um, yeah, so that then that the, the next one, yeah, was a, a lot more stressful for me. Um, yeah, it, it actually had quite a big impact on me. Um, I I even got like hives. I remember I was wow. like, I'm not. Um, 
Yeah, I had like, I, I just had, I, I, you know, it had a ment- it had a psychological effect on me and, and even like kind of a physical one probably through that psychological effect. And, you know, it just like, it really affected me, the stress of it all, um, especially because it, uh, it, it became so close. It was literally a matter of weeks in the end, like a couple of weeks and we were going to call it, call it a day if we couldn't close the round. And, um, and yeah, so that, that one was more difficult. And then, then I think because, because we all found the process quite, you know, quite stressful, um, we decided that, you know, after this next round, we, you know, it was all going to be about revenue and, and, and being, you know, if not profitable close to it so that we, we didn't, you know, we could take the pressure off and we didn't rely on, on investment. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's, that's basically what we did. And and what was it about that without casting back too many, uh, terrible memories for you then? So that sort of final round, you said it was super stressful. What, obviously you mentioned you got pretty close to the wire. So I'd imagine that was part of the reason, uh, behind it, but was it just sort of having to put yourself out there and, you know, taking yourself out of your comfort zone, pitching? Yeah. No, no, no. It was, I don't think like, it's, it's funny because I love it. There's a part of me that absolutely loves it. It's a real thrill. Um, yeah. But then there's, it also, I don't think it necessarily comes naturally to me. Um, I learned how to do it kind of um but it isn't something that i could do just very very naturally and i think that a lot of a lot of founders can probably relate to that particularly if they're from you know quite tech driven backgrounds um you know maybe that's a bit out of their comfort zone to do that um and so yeah it was kind of a mixture of things for me It, it kind of felt like at some point you know you're going around with a pan like you know i don't like that feeling like and I wanted it to be, and you'd get a lot of inbound as well. You know, you get, you get a lot of VCs coming to you asking to meet and have, you know, potentially invest and so on. But, but a lot of that that you have to realize is that it's just them doing their jobs. Like they literally have thousands of meetings per year. And when you're, when, when you're starting out, you don't realize that necessarily. And no one necessarily tells you that. And so you have to, and, you know, I learned that after a while and you deal with those meetings accordingly because you, you realize that their job is to have as many meetings as possible to, per day to not just understand your business, but to understand the market as a whole, right? Because they might also be looking to invest in your direct competitor and, and they're doing due diligence, yeah, <laughs> right? And honestly, that, that's going on constantly. And like, it's so obvious to me now, like, and it's really clear, but, but at the time, you know, I didn't know all this. <laughs> I thought, I thought everyone wanted to invest in my business. Yeah. Um, when, when in actual fact, it's, it's a mixture of different things. Um, so, yeah. So yeah, I, I'd imagine that's, that's probably the, the toughest thing when, again, that's from other people that I've been speaking to have been through sort of raises is the number of meetings that you have to have, the amount of people that you have to speak to. And the amount of knockbacks you have to have to get to that, yes, it's really about oh, that resilience of saying it's the resilience. It's the resilience and having the thick skin, and and your job is constantly like that's that's your job. You're constantly doing it. Um, you know, every interaction is potentially you know raising capital. Um, so so yeah, it's 
and and again, you know, that I think that's been my my big lesson now is like doing it. Well, not exactly the same thing, but you know, starting something new. Um, oh man, get rid of all that. Yeah. Don't waste your time with it. Like it's a waste of time. Um, just focus on on building a great product that people love. You know, focus on that. Screw the investors. Like the investors will come to you and will beg you if you focus on on the former, not the latter. So, um, but I know that now. I didn't know that then. <laughs> I, mean, I, yeah, I was going to say, I think that's some pretty sound advice, right? To anyone who's, who's out there who's thinking of going into startup world or who's building a product at the moment is if you focus on something that is supremely usable that, that people and customers, users all want to, to work with, then the investors will yeah. come. And, and exactly. And I think like there's, there's a, quite an unhealthy culture of celebrating raising funds funding right like when you read TechCrunch or any of these things it's like so and so raised blah 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 that's not that shouldn't be that shouldn't be a, a cause for celebration in my opinion like that's almost I wouldn't say it's failure but it's like that's not you should be celebrating you know making a, a massive improvement to your product or having customers that just bloody love you or, or making your first sale or whatever and that sort of stuff is not celebrated enough and there's, there's too much focus and celebration on this, like so-and-so raised whatever. And you don't know the details of that. You don't know if really they're celebrating that deal or they're petrified now. Because, um, yeah, that, that's been the other big lesson is like learning about, about a lot of these, um, the terms that, that, you know, once you really... You get handcuffed you really in. That, oh, man. And I'm telling you, in these articles... They're not discussing any of this on on the on the you know three x preference all this stuff like yeah so they're saying how great it is and how amazing it is and you know just see a huge you people just see a huge number don't they they see a big figure and that's great amazing as you say but they don't see the details and what that person what it means for that person that individual um, as a founder and you see so and so business you know they raised x amount. And you think, oh, that, that person must be a multimillionaire. No, they're not, they're not a multimillionaire. They're probably the least paid person in that company. And, and you know what the craziest thing is, right? So you got that on the raises, but it makes me laugh when I, when I read about the exits. Because, um, you know, you, you say, oh, so-and-so was bought out at 100 million, all this stuff, right? And you think, oh, that founder must be, you know. And sometimes, yes, but quite often, like, actually, um, they got none of that. Um, or, you know, one of our, one of our old competitors at, at Nuji, like I know for a fact, you know, he's, they've raised well over a hundred million, but the person owns like less than 1% founder, um, with, you know, so when that does exit, like, yeah. anyway, so it's these types of details that aren't discussed enough and, and it's very important to be aware of it. A hundred percent. I definitely think that there should be more awareness. And hopefully this brings it to the, to the fold to some people out there at very least. Um, and so it brings us nicely on slightly to the, to the exit, right? So um, without sort of going into to too many details, what, what made you guys sort of get to the point where you think, right, now we're ready for, we're ready for exit. Time's done. Let's move on. Uh, yeah, the steam ran out. Um, there was just not, there wasn't enough um, energy behind it all, um, which is a terrible reason to exit. <laughs> it's the truth, though. Um, so. <laughs> but it happens. You know, it happens to most of us. Listen, I'm, 
I struggled to work on the same thing for two years, let alone, you know, 10. So, and that, and I think that's the case with most people. Um, and, and yeah, so it kind of got to that point where we're like, listen, we want to do other stuff. Um, you know, there's so many other interesting things going on and, and all these lessons that we learn, like we can apply all of that to this new stuff that we want to do. Um, and so, yeah, the steam ran out and, but then it, it just became a big question as to who and what and how, and, and, uh, that, that was the more complicated part, um, because of the way that, you know, we'd been running the business, um, at, at the end there. Um, it became a bit more difficult to find out, you know, who would be the best partner for it. And, and how did you sort of find out the, the best partner? Yeah. Just, okay. So this was really interesting. So um, what was really frustrating was that there were, there were some partners who we had quite a lot of discussions with. And honestly, if they had bought it, the value it would have added for them is it's just mind-blowing but for whatever reason um they just couldn't and maybe it's maybe it was our fault we just couldn't get it across right but they just couldn't they couldn't see it they couldn't they couldn't put the, this jigsaw puzzle together and um and it's a real shame because poor boy like it, it would have been plug and play they would have plugged this thing in and oh they would have just printed money um, but because they weren't from, they were quite detached from this world, right? Of, of e-commerce, of tech, of, of all of this stuff. Um, uh, and, and they, they just couldn't, they couldn't quite see it. Um, so that was really annoying. Uh, so anyway, we, we had tons of conversations with, so it was basically the, these media companies, um, I, won't, I, won't, I won't say their names, but you could basically pretty much the top, amongst the top 10 media companies in the world, we spoke to a lot of them. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, they, they kind of struggled with it. Now, then um, we were like, well, okay, if, if we can't convince them that this is, a, this is the right fit, um, Oh, actually, a big part of the reason why it was difficult with, with them is that whilst it's it's a big industry and it has traditionally been a massive industry for you know, the last hundred years, it's in rapid decline. And and when when companies are in that stage of decline, um, it's really scary for them to make changes, um, even though that's exactly what they should be doing. And 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 because their money is just like disappearing it's also, it becomes even more scary because then they have to like, you know, throw all this money at something that will require like a big change on their thinking and their talent and everything. It's too much for them. Um, so, so then we're like, okay, well, if it's not going to be that, then um, what other types of companies could we look at? And this whole... Um, this whole industry of, you know, the Klanas and the afterpays and all that, they've been around for a good 10 years, but um, they're really, <laughs> they're really hitting their stride now. Yeah. Um, and they've proven like they're incredible businesses. Incredible. Um, and so, you know, as users of them, um, you know, we just started to think, well, actually, uh, well, 
that they're in the they're in an op, the opposite position of of these media companies who are in decline. Like these guys are skyrocketing, and they will for for the foreseeable future. Um, and there's certain pieces that they're missing. Yeah, that we think that they're missing. Yeah. Um, and you know, based on everything that we've built, like actually, it could be really complementary. We hadn't thought about it in this way. We never imagined ourselves partnering up with a company like this but actually yeah it makes a ton of sense um now i can't go into too much detail on the on the strategic side because yeah uh, for obvious reasons but um but yeah so we started to explore that a lot further um and had lots of conversations with, with different ones and um and what was great about klarna was that it wasn't just their technology and what they're building their business model and how complementary that was to what we were doing, but also, you know, their brand and, um, and, and yeah, the way that the way that they position themselves in the market, it was a great fit for us and something that, you know, we really respected. It wasn't just a boring old payments company, you know, like a PayPal, like all of their old, ugh. Um, it was more than that. It had personality and they, you know, they, they positioned themselves in a specific part of the market, which was perfect for us and, and who, who our customers were. So yeah, it was a great fit. Good fit for the, for the mold and yeah, something a little bit outside the box. You wouldn't have thought that necessarily the two go together on first instance, but as you say, you know, once you start to look at it and think about, okay, the two different models, then and yeah, it's a, it's a great match. Yeah, a very unexpected one. Definitely yeah. not the one we, we, we were thinking about. But um, yeah. It worked out in the end. Well, as a, as a sort of a parting uh, piece, I'd like to try and leave it on a, a super positive note. Not that the, the sale wasn't positive, but um, obviously you've got loads of experience as we've just discovered some, some ups and downs, lots of you know, different uh, twists and turns throughout the, the path to that sale. Looking back, if you were talking to someone who was towards the beginning of their journey now as a founder, what, what sort of one piece of advice would you give someone? Yeah, um, I would definitely advise, advise doing this in stages, right? And, and um, think about, you know, this, think about it as, as a career, right? So yes, you can go out, swing for the fences, try to create the next SpaceX straight out of college. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. May work for you, may not, but it's, that's more of a gamble, right? If you want it to be a sure thing, then what you should do instead is, is create things in stages. You know, you don't have to have one company um, and, and create something where don't raise capital. Just don't do it. Just do something where you, you can build a nice, healthy, self-sustaining, profitable, organic growing business. And I'm telling you now, the most skilled people I know do that because it's actually the hardest. It's much easier to raise capital and hide under all that um, than it is to do what I just said. Like that's really hard. Um, but that's what you need to learn how to do anyway. So do that first and choose something small, right? Like choose something that's attainable that you can really pull off by yourself with no money. 
Um, and there's so many no code tools out there where you don't need developers anymore. You know, you, you should, and you should learn the basic coding yourself anyway. Marketing wise, like you need to crack that yourself. Don't raise money and hire someone else to do it. You figure it out because that's how you're really going to learn anyway. Um, and then, and then just, yeah. And then on monetization and business development and all that, again, do it yourself. But the only way that you're able to do all three of those things is by keeping this small and then, um, and, and build that out and try your best to turn that into a profitable business. Now, worst case scenario is it will, um, it'll provide some good pocket money, right? You'll bump up your yearly salary, you know, you work on it an hour a day, right? And you'll do well out of it. Best case scenario is it'll replace your entire salary and you'll be your own boss. It's not a bad right? way. No matter how to look at it, is it? <laughs> Man. Yeah, and you're set. Then you're yeah. set. You don't have anyone to answer to. You're working for yourself. If you want to grow that further, you can grow it further. You want to sell it. There's now entities out there that will very happily buy that from you and take it off your hands. And you've got a nice little package, right? Okay. So then once you got that, <laughs> then go to the level up one. Yeah, don't go to level three yet. Go to level two. And then be a little bit more ambitious. And this time when you do it, you know, hire a few people, have a little team. But this time, you, you'll deeply understand everything so that when you do hire, you know how to mentor, you know how to build out a, a really high-quality team um, and build that up, right? And again, you know, you'll probably get a nice little, little exit out of that, right, eventually. Or maybe it'll turn into a massive company. Who knows? Right, so then you got that. <laughs> you pull that off, you're ready, you're ready for level three. <laughs> level three is go and build a bloody SpaceX, right? Like, go all out. Because um, you've, you've got your pocket money put away. You've probably bought a house. You've got, a, you've got everything. You've set the foundation. Your understanding's great. You've educated yourself. You understand not just how to do, you know, growth and monetization, all these different marketing and everything. You also know how to build a team, how to mentor that team. You, you got it. This is your education. And now you're ready um, go out and build a big thing. There you go. And now you've got the experience, you built it, you're off, ready to go. Perfect go advice. A really great way to end it. So but thanks Dean so much for coming on. It's been super interesting hearing your, your story and uh, yeah, I look forward to uh, hopefully seeing what the, the next thing is. Yeah. Look forward to telling you all about it. Cheers. All right. Thanks for it. So a huge thank you to Dean for coming on today's show. Um, that marks the end of Series 1 of Farside with Founders. Um, so thanks to everyone who's been a guest on this season. Um, it's been a fascinating journey so far, uh, hearing all of those stories, different twists and turns along the way. Um, thank you to everyone who's tuned in and listened. Um, really appreciate your support. I'll be back next year for season two, where I'll bring you more stories of founders and their amazing companies and looking behind the curtain at their journeys. I hope you can join me soon.